Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Coral Chihuahua. It's a countertenor thing. Very different setting today. I'm in a small churchyard deep in the countryside of East Kent in the very southeast of England on the Pilgrim's Way, really only a short distance from the coast of France. The church is All Saints, Borton Aleph. Good luck with spelling that if you're not from around here. And since the 1970s, it's been the home of the early music festival, Stour Music. In front of me is a gravestone on which is written Alfred Della Countertenor, 1912-1979, a singer of unique quality who gave his life to the service of music. Henry Purcell's Music for a While, sung by Alfred Della, the man credited with bringing the countertenor voice out of the back rows of cathedral choir stalls, Canterbury in his case, to a much wider global audience, through enormous numbers of recordings and a lifetime's touring. All the great countertenor names of the last 50 years, uh, James Bowman, Charles Brett, Michael Chance, now his son Alex Chance, Robin Blaze, Yestin Davis, to list only a few British examples, all of them to some extent could do what they do because of him and all of them visitors to Stour Music over the years, a festival set up by Alfred Della in 1962 and run since the 1970s by his son, also a countertenor, Mark Della. The festival runs over the last two weekends in June, ten concerts, and today is day one. There's a palpable sense of excitement. Yesterday the church was cleaned, it really is a church in a field, by an army of supporters getting rid of dead birds, checking the electricity works, ensuring there's no one who got locked in last year, that sort of thing. And as I walk into this flint-covered church, I can smell the, the preparations of music, the music stands being put up, viols tuning, uh, dancers checking their equipment, the sound of pre-rehearsal noise. Well, that's going to be a feature of the... <laughs> 
big band concert the next year. Yeah, The opening concert of Star Music 2022, which is the 60th anniversary, is the City Music, Fieri Consort, Stephen Divine playing harpsichord, Italian harpsichord, and some dancers, all conceived and put together in a show called... It's got a number of names, hasn't it? Hasn't it, William Lyons, the director of The, the Night? Yes, the first uh, concert is called Tudor Night, and it is a gathering of all the sort of major bands that would have been around in the 16th and early 17th century. So you've got a vocal consort singing madrigals, you've got a wind band of shawms and sackbuts playing dances and grand ceremonial music, and you've got this wonderful jingle jangle band of the broken consort as it's referred to nowadays but it was it's literally just a mixed consort of wire gut plucked instruments bowed instruments and blown instruments And for those of us who are used to thinking as the plucked instruments as continuo, which is from a, well, maybe the same but slightly later period, as an accompaniment, these are melody instruments, aren't they, some of them? Yes, it's, it's remarkable in that this is a really specific unit of, in, of six instruments, each having their own particular role. The treble, violin, the flute play the cantus and alto lines, the top and the second lines, the flute an octave higher, weirdly enough, but it sits above the whole mm. texture. Then you have the bass file supplying the bass and within that you have the lute which is playing very very decorative um, divisions and decorations she's, on melody. She's clearly paid per note Linda. <laughs> oh god and she earns it massively. She calls it her knitting doesn't she? Yes that's right. <laughs> And then you have these wonderful two wire-plucked instruments, the sitan and the bandora. The bandora sits an, uh, a fourth below the, the bass lute, so it's a big bass instrument, with, and, and its parts are written predominantly on the bass line, but, but with chordal elements to them. So it's not just a tasto instrument, it plays chords as well, and supplies a lot of the rhythmic impetus. higher the sit and does very much the same thing playing on tenor and alto lines but also filling out harmonies as well so you get this wonderful resonant texture within uh, within the consort of bowed and blown instruments Well, it's a bit later. The concert is, in fact, now just ended and everyone's trooped out, looking very pleased with the whole uh, affair. Uh, surprised by the dance. Maybe they hadn't read the small print that there would be dance tonight on stage in full view. And that was such... It, it, it just made such sense of the dances, of the music of the dances. Mm. Well, yes. I mean, for the your average uh, person in the late 16th and early 17th century... Dance was, was not just something you did on a Friday night, it was 
something to do with recreation, to do with fitness, to do with exercise. Queen Elizabeth I apparently danced six galliards before breakfast in the morning. And for us as players, we often play dance music, pavans and galliards and almains and all of those types of dances, but we don't get to work with the dancers. And when you pair them actually with the physicality of the dance, then you, everything opens up and everything makes sense. So it's, it's a, a marvellous thing. It's great to see Steve and Mary, uh, the dancers, because they treated the first section of the, of the concert like it was a mask, uh, which was one of those mm. traditional forms of entertainment which had entry music, it had comedy, comedic elements, it had fantastic elements, and, and it also had a, a communal dance at the end called the Revels, and that's what they were trying to bring into this whole concert, that sort of idea of, a, of an all-encompassing entertainment that featured dance as one of its main elements. Here with Fieri Consort, post concert, they've just uh, just come off stage after seeing Gibbons Cries of London. And what's your, you're all sitting here with an extremely large beer, I'm delighted yeah. to say. It's a good thing to be able to come off stage and only minutes later have a beer in your hand. And your overriding impression of this festival is. wonderful desserts. <laughs> is the correct answer. Yeah. Incredible puddings. Yes. yes. Yeah. Anyone want to say anything musical at all? <laughs> souffle, just great souffle. Yeah. And your favourite? You sang some Alfonso Ferrabosco. Yeah. The yeah. yeah, yeah, the Nightingales. The English, the English version, the English version. Translation yeah. from our disc, Musica Trans. No, the Unknown Traveller, featuring Musica Transalpina and some other music. <laughs> and and by yeah, by, <laughs> by Mr. Kibosa, and Englished back then. Englished was the word, wasn't it? Because we weren't very good at foreign languages. Unlike yeah. now, when we're oh, terrific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your favourite instrumental piece? Oh, good question. I think the the Wild Woods. Um, was Stephen oh. Fingers Divine. I reckon he's got a third hand somewhere. Page turner. I played three quarters of those notes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's what? stealing a living, that man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always me. It's always been so One of the special things about star music is the late evening concert. After a drink in the marquee and a look at the displays of pictures going back 60 years with Dellers, Harnoncourt, David Munro, James Bowman and most other early musicians you can think of, it's back through the now dark churchyard to a candlelit concert. Tonight, continuing the Tudor night theme and called Night's Black Bird, an exploration of melancholy with the perfect lineup of Nancy Cole, mezzo-soprano, Jacob Herringman, lute, and five vials. A concert kindly sponsored by James Bowman, who sits in the audience, which can't have been a tall daunting for Nancy. It's mostly Dowland, but here's a moment from William Byrd's touching lament on the death of his friend, Thomas Tallis. Mm-hmm. 
Saturday morning, lovely looking day, very excited to have the Swingle Singers here tonight and also the Ramo project. But first, I pop over to the nearby village of Wye to see Mark Della, countertenor, conductor, the man who ran Star Music for 45 years, to say nothing of the Canterbury Festival, but for me, most famously director of the Della Consort, after his famous father Alfred. A rose climbs up the front wall of his house, and as I arrive there's a man painting his front door a pale shade of yellow. He feeds the cat, and I saunter upstairs. I'm now in Mark's study upstairs, and it's fascinating because uh, A, it feels very familiar to my own, music absolutely everywhere, whole collections of Purcell and Gesualdo and Mozart and Bach and goodness knows what would be very familiar to people listening. Um, very specific books to a, a man who loves his uh, madrigals. You can always tell someone by their books, can't you? Um, music at Court, John Dowland, Thomas Maul is a plain and easy introduction to practical music. Um, but also William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, religious quotations, uh, the parlour songbook, I see, um, and pictures. Uh, pictures of uh, Mark when a young man at the unveiling of the Alfred Della uh, memorial plaque with his mother and I think brother. There's a glorious um, oil painting by John Ward of Alfred Della. And then there are those black and white photos that sort of could be anywhere but uh, with anyone. But I recognise, well, I recognise Mark as a 30-year-old. There's the famous Morris Bevan, the baritone, who was the bass for the... Um, uh, for the Della concert for so long and related to Mary Bevan and Sophie Bevan now. Um, there's the Cambridge Purcell Singers 1960, just a little picture of 20 people giving a concert and, and ladies in hats sitting there, but a very dear friend of mine whom I only met in 1985 when I went to university. There he is, 22, singing in the choir, Michael Morton. And then over here, more Bird, Mark's own autobiography that's just come out called Mark My Words. sound of Della, father and son, in John Blow's Our Heaven, What Ist I Here, with Desmond Dupre on guitar. And looking around the room, I almost expected Alfred Della to walk in, ask me how my sight reading is, and whether I could join the group for a concert at Atlante tomorrow. Instead, it's Mark who comes in, and he's soon remembering moving the festival from a series of venues along the course of the River Stow to the single church of Borton Aleph. By moving everything up there, it meant we could more than double the size of the audience, and therefore keep the ticket prices within yeah. reason. Because going to a place like Olentu, even in those days, we had to charge, you know, yeah. 15 and sixpence rather yes. than one and six. <laughs> well, if, if Boris has his way, we may be going back to sixpence and yes. shillings for oh, <laughs> shortly anyway. And um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure because I quoted so many times, uh, it always amuses me that that first festival, I and mean, we had no budget, we had no, uh, uh, you know, to work on. And at the end of the festival... Uh, we lost eight and sixpence and, and Alfred put his hat in the middle of the floor and we all threw in our loose change. And the deficit was covered by that. There were no friends. There was nothing at all. No. It was done on a wing and a prayer. It's a life's work, a festival like this. I mean, you've handed it over to me now, but it's it'll always be the Della Festival because the people who come are grounded in, in the countryside and the culture that it comes from. Um, well, they won't always. I mean, they will always have that background, but uh, you will build up and have your own following. And it's amazingly how quickly that will take over, to be honest, I think. You know, within five or ten years, um, this will be such history and it, it will be your festival, albeit based on, I hope, a, a good grounding with, you know, Alfred, who had the imagination to he was hopeless organizer i mean he was absolutely hopeless with admin or <laughs> i mean even with the consort i i inherited several things where he'd taken on jobs and they were just economically totally unviable right. 
we had to, you know, we were doing something in La Rochelle and he thought we were all going to fly out there and there was no way the money just didn't. So Bob and I had to put bring two cars, Bob Spencer and I, and we drove the whole bloody way. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it was the only way to make it possible. And it is said that Alfred didn't particularly enjoy rehearsing. Oh, no, he didn't. That well, must have been terrifying for the other singers. Uh, well, it was, but on the other hand, it gave it an extraordinary amount of, uh, you know, edge and, and nervous tension on the day. I mean, yeah, it cut both ways. Sometimes it was pretty disastrous, but other times you could suddenly be experiencing a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, in a way, a one-off uh, performance. <laughs> Today is Ramo and the Swingle Singers, two very different <laughs> concerts. Um, and I'm here with uh, Jonathan Williams in his car <laughs> because the weather's taken a bit of a turn. Yesterday was the sort of perfect English day that only Enid Blyton could have imagined uh, with, with Tudor night. And now the wind is blowing something extraordinary. It looks as if it's about to bucket it down. Does that fit the theme of Castor et Pollux by Rameau? Very much a tragedy in the making, I think. And there's, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a tonnerre thunder moment at one point. Yeah, usually we just have one one trompette uh, an evening, but hopefully, well, hopefully it won't be two. Yeah, uh, one be... a wonderful denouement in the end of in, in Act Five. <laughs> a festival director to want to choose um, some Ramo um, to put on in the UK mm. I would have very few choices um, and so it's a given that that's one of my priorities doing some French Baroque yeah. here uh, and we had Edward Higginbottom last year doing some mm -hmm. Charpentier which was magnifique um, it was a jolly good thing that you happened to be to be <laughs> doing some Ramo because you've also edited the edition and yes. reconstructed part of the parts yeah. yeah this is the 1737 version of Castor um, the one that's normally done, I say normally, um, seldom, but the only one that's generally done is the 54 version, the later version. Mm. ENO did it in English in 2012. Um, the 1737, it's more original and revolutionary and very much inspired by Voltaire. And it's longer, there's a prologue, so there's a good reason not to do it. <laughs> but also, the only source is a short score, like a, re a piano reduction. And so to do this, I've had to fill in lots of extra music for the violas, the choir, the inner chorus parts. And um, in your note, you, you mentioned that mm. the partie de remplissage, the yeah. filled in parts, which in mm. Lully or something would be very simple, yeah. are probably not simple in this. I found it very hard to complete um, them and it's been fascinating working out Rameau's approach. Um, I teach orchestration in, as a day job, so I'm used to sort of discovering scores from the inside out. Um, and as you know, we all learn to write in the style of Bach and Mozart and maybe Schumann and Palestrina, you know, in our, in our, in our university days. Ram is not like any of those, not like Vivaldi, not like Handel. And the viola parts you seem to be, well, my, my approach, his approach seems to be sort of willfully spontaneous. <laughs>
my love of Rameau started in undergraduate days when I was exposed to Dardanus with its extraordinary aria Le Funeste with those high bassoons and mm. your your bassoon player is having a it's a great day for her when she when she's playing in a Rameau opera because it's so much more melodic. I've known bassoon players to cry with happiness at the end of uh, a Rameau opera. I won't say who it is. Um, yeah, he he liberated the bassoon from um, simply playing along the bass line and to to playing high G's, A, top A's. And of course in Rama's orchestra there will be four playing an extraordinary sound world. I suppose that's where Berlioz got some of his ideas for writing you know, for four bassoons. Um, and uh, yeah, it's one, of, it's one of the things he really liberated. Of course later in, in his operas then, the flutes, the piccolos, the clarinet, even the horns, he really did bring new colours to the orchestral palette. those particularly French-sounding suspensions, and the control of the singing of the young soprano Hilary Cronin. What an education it was to watch her in rehearsal. But back in the car with Johnny, we're on to Voltaire and violence. It, it seems to be so much more extreme than other operas of the period, emotionally. That was purposeful. That was a, an idea he, he uh, developed with Voltaire in the 1730s. Um, they worked on an opera, Samson, together, and it was censored by the by the government, they didn't want a biblical story on no, stage. Not about, not about Carolyn Samson, just to make <laughs> that clear, a previous guest on this programme. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the music found its way into Rameau's other operas, but Voltaire was very keen on, on um, as you said, violent almost um, contrasts that really tear you from one um, mood and situation to another, and that therefore heighten those moods as well. What are the obstacles? Well, the music's not published yet. <laughs> We're down a tone, so you need specialist instruments and time to, uh, to um, work with them. Um, Rameau had a chorus of 40, an orchestra with four bassoons and 16 violins. You know, next time, Robert. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you see, that, I mean, they were just, and there wouldn't have been room for them today. But yeah. um, that that the sheer number of players per mm. part is something I associate so much with the French or French Brock sounds. Mm. There's an opulence and richness of colour when you do have four flutes in unison. You, you can smell the money. You can you, smell you, the money. You can smell the patronage. <laughs> um, and Jonathan and I are both open to offers of patronage <laughs> to make something like this, this happen out there. Yeah. Soon. It's worth it. Worth mm. every penny. <laughs> and a final note, say um, bravo to the seven singers you have mm. from the University of York, my students, uh, who you've trained, and a great opportunity for them, but it sounds to me as if they're doing a pretty good job. I love their enthusiasm. They've taken this new style and run with it and are always prompt at the rehearsal. They're going to go far. <laughs>
interrupted cadence. Right, now I've come into the marquee, and as anyone involved with music knows, musicians march on their stomach. And one of the features of Stow music is that, gloriously for the, for the artists, they don't have to go out and forage for food, but it's laid on by an army of very clever and inventive people. Because remember, we are in a churchyard in a marquee um, with intermittent electricity, and... And we have food, and it's marvellous. But the thing that people particularly remember is what I'm standing in front of now, which is the puddings. And this isn't something that the audience really knows about. This is just an artist thing. But Stow is sort of famous for its puddings. Kate Brazier, who makes them, take me through what we've got here, Kate. There's the end of the actual Stour tart, which is written on in pastry. Yes. Then we've got an elderflower and rose jelly with a fresh rose on it. Then we've got an apple and mulberry crumble with warm custard. Mm. Then we've got a gluten-free sponge with fruit. That's, that's just so beautiful. And what are the berries between the grapes and the strawberries and the raspberries? Um, blackberries. Oh, blackberries. Commercial blackberries, I'm afraid. And then a chocolate rum cream, which makes grown men weak at the knees, I have to say. Yes, it does. People will be salivating. Well, it's rich and smooth, like the best sort of lover. I, I, <laughs> people are going to... I'm not sure what to say to People are going to be listening to this while running, and they're going to have to stop to think about it. So this one is the healthy option. It's mixed berries, Greek yoghurt and uh, black sugar. And this is a gooseberry fool with homegrown crimson gooseberries. And that's speci my special request, that's your isn't favorite it? special request. Yes. This is a raspberry mufo um, with a lot of layers of raspberry, homemade raspberry jam, icing. And then this is a classic sherry trifle with homemade cake. Great. And you've seen everyone walking past the last two days. I mean... They're not shy in coming forward, are they? No, yesterday people came round three times. And they weren't having one pudding each time either, were they? No, there's generally a minimum of three per plate because there is a space and you can't have a space on a plate. No, that's, yes. Blimey, it's, it's, I mean, it's what I remember back, I mean, how long have you been doing this? At least 15 years, I can't remember, to be honest. Wow. But you took over from, from someone? So I worked with Joe for about 10 years, Joe. and then I, Joe Slaughter, yes. who'd done it since the beginning, and I, she did at least 40 years, and then I worked with her for 10 years, and then I took over in, I think, 2012 or 2013, I can't remember. And it's it's such a thing amongst stars. You go anywhere in the world and talk to people about style music, and they'll, they just say the puddings. They don't talk about the acoustic or the phenomenal music making. It's because they're happy, I think, because they've got pudding inside them. There is nothing nicer than seeing people queuing up and their faces light up as they look at the array of different puddings. And they can't choose. They have to come and do a preliminary pass first and then come back. I don't think they can quite believe it, especially those who haven't been here before. Hey-ho. Right, um, I suppose a bit of think about music some more. <laughs> The unmistakable sound of the Swingles, and they gave the late night concert on Saturday. Everyone knows the Swingles, don't they? But for the record, they're the successor group to the Swingle Singers, who was set up in France in the 1960s by Ward Swingle, he himself coming out of a group called Les Double Six, the Double Six. So for nerds, and because this is Coral Chihuahua and we can, here's a few seconds of Les Double Six singing Gershwin. Note their trademark scat singing with actual French words. Now, I'm catching up a few days later with swingle singer Joanna Goldsmith-Eatson over Zoom because we barely even pass like ships in the night at Stow. You were sound checking, uh, then eating puddings, I noticed, I'm glad to see. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, then I was at the Ramo and suddenly it was all over and I've got a million questions mm. because despite us living in a similarish world, we've never really met, but there's so little time. Yes. 
Um, actually, the, the first thing is, I mean, I was going to say Swingle Soprano, but you women in the group, you sing everything, don't you? Almost bass. We do, yes. We're, we're quite interchangeable. It, it sort of depends on the repertoire that we're singing and the, the quality that we want at the top of the texture. So we all sing a combination of um, soprano and alto and, yeah, sometimes tenor. <laughs> it really depends, yeah. Wow. Uh, when did you join the group? Because uh, listeners do like these sort of dynasty things. And who did you take over mm, from? So I joined in uh, 2006, which actually makes me the longest standing member of the group, yeah. apart from Ward Swingle himself. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so in 2006, I took over from Mania Thomas, who at that time was officially the first soprano. So uh, when when I started, mm. I was the first soprano. And then slowly over the years, as, we, as we've discovered that we can all sing in various different styles. Um, it's now kind of shared amongst the three of us. Mm. And I remember a moment in a concert at University of York a couple of years ago when uh, the soprano that was singing a very growly sort of uh, Eastern European folk song was suddenly singing the kind of super F, F sharp <laughs> uh, song from, uh, what's that Luc Besson film where the alien sings Oh, opera. yes, yeah. So that, that was uh, Sarah Brimer-Davy, who um, also had a crazy range and could sort of do it all, still can. <laughs> yeah. Blimey. I mean, how have the swingles changed over your time? That's 16 years for mm. you. That's a, that's a piece of work. Yeah, I think um, what's changed the most is how we use the technology. I think one of the... Um, uh, something that a lot of people don't know is that the Swingles, even since Ward Swingles days in, in uh, you know, 1962, um, the group have always uh, sung on mic. And, and we really sing very, very quietly um, to create that sort of um, very intimate sound. So even though the, the music is amplified, um, we're singing very, very gently um, for 90% of the concert. You know, there, there might be moments where we will suddenly need to belt or sing high or you know whatever it might be but for 90 percent of the mm. show we really do sort of almost whisper through the show um and so i think what's changed the most is how we use those microphones so even though the the sound of that sort of very gentle singing hasn't changed and um, we now sort of use a bunch of different um you know technologies that the group wouldn't have had mm. access to in the 60s um which is a lot of fun. You talk in the concert about mm. about looping yes. and uh, creating a texture and then building onto it, which is which is one for the brain. Gosh, you have to get that right the first yes. time. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. And if it goes wrong, it's then wrong for the whole song. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you then make it yeah. right. Um, and, and what information are you getting through headpieces? Because you start without notes, uh, apparently to us. Are you, are you getting a, you getting a note? We are. Yeah. So so uh, for a while, I was in charge of you know hitting the tuning fork and giving the starting note and what we decided was that because we like the show to feel sort of seamless we just realized that because we had the capability to do it that our sound engineer could actually give us a cue so depending on the piece sometimes it'll just be a drone where it'll be the tonic and the fifth um sometimes it'll be you know a couple of chords um sometimes we'll get something in time so we'll get you know ding 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 and then we're off um so it really depends on the piece and what what's to follow um yeah, but we will get a cue before each song. That's that's a, a learnt skill, isn't it? That's not something that choral singers will necessarily uh, have when they're growing mm. up. Is that difficult to sing with something in your ear? It can be, especially sometimes we like to start a song straight out of the applause, which, me which means that you're hearing the cue while the clapping is still going on. Yeah. So if um, if they're particularly raucous, you know, some, we have had it where half the group don't hear the cue and half the group do. Um, so yeah, it does take a little bit of getting used to, and of course every venue is different. So sometimes um, you'll have to adjust your settings, um, and that's something that we are very fortunate to have is that we can adjust our own settings from an app on our phone during the sound check. And it, you know, if I need mm. more of Ed or Ollie because they're further away on stage than normal, I I can change my mix without affecting anyone else. Um, so that's really handy. We can all have completely different mixes without affecting what each other hear. Um, so that's really handy. Very useful. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now, someone of my age starts noticing when their friends turn up with their children <laughs> to open days. Uh, and uh, and you think, gosh, things things have moved on a little bit. There's a little bit of that in Swingles, isn't there? Yes, a little bit, yeah. Um, we actually have our first um, second-generation Swingle in the group at the moment, um, uh, Imogen Parry, whose father, Ben Parry, was in the group uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so yeah, that's that's and the first now, time. 
and now heavily involved with the National Youth Choir yes. of Great Britain. Um, lovely to see him at the concert. And you sang the wackiest version of Happy Birthday <laughs> that I've ever heard. Who's it by? I mean, it's a piece of work. It's by Kevin Fox, former baritone before uh, Jamie, who also sang in National Youth Choir along with myself. Yeah. Yes, and an ex ex York yes. student. I just can't okay. um, one of the things I say about your group to people is that you're as good live as recorded, if not better, in <laughs> fact. And one real showpiece for you from your album Folklore is Buchimis, a version of a Bulgarian folk song. Let's just play the start of it, and dear listener, try to work out the time signature here. <laughs> Okay, tell us, what, what is the time signature here? <laughs> so it's written in 1516, but um, anyone from Bulgaria who's grown up with that kind of music, I don't think would ever think of it that way. They, they just understand the feel as being you know it's just ingrained in their uh, folk traditions i mean on the recording that we're going to play a little bit of you've actually got a, an instrumentalist as well haven't you? we have yes we were uh, really fortunate to be joined by um trishi uh, uh shankaran um who uh, we had worked with his daughter um on some vocal stuff before she's an incredible musician as well and and um, she'd sung with the swingles a couple of times and so um, we asked if her father, um, who's a very well-respected tabla player, whether he would join us. Um, and we just thought it would be a really interesting crossover, you know, tabla with Bulgarian folk sung by Brits. It was all slightly odd, but um, we loved the, the end result. <laughs> different style of concert from what a star music audience is used to. Lots of chat about that afterwards. At star, people do like to talk about music in the tent over a beer and compare approaches of their favourite groups. There are audience members here who've been coming since 1962. They've seen the lot. But that's also the point. For this mostly early music festival to survive, it needs not only to appeal to its established members, but to start thinking about where tomorrow's audience is likely to come from. And so the Swingles and next week our Tango Night with Two Dancers and a Tango Band is a gentle way of starting to probe. But Bach and his predecessors, in their more familiar form, was how the first of the two weekends came to a close. Day three, the weather's not quite sure. We're sitting outside the church uh, with a programme called Inspiry Bach. Inspiry Bach. Inspiring Bach. Uh, introduce yourself, gentlemen. Uh, my name is Will Russell. I'm a trumpet player and um, member of the period instrument ensemble Spiritate. And I'm Rory McCleary, and I'm the artistic director of the Marion Consort and Vocal Chamber Ensemble. And chamber is very much the word, isn't it? Because I've just seen you playing 
with four trumpets, drums, six string players, two continuos, uh, three continuos, 12 singers, not a conductor in sight. We really are, are trying to connect as, as musicians and, and as en ensembles and um, we don't really feel we need a conductor for this uh, type of music, this um, music from the, the 17th century, the middle of the 17th century. It doesn't stop people trying, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, but uh, we have enough budget constraints as it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the more people conduct, the, the less musicians listen, I always think. Of course, it makes things often scarier, um, and it means you need that little bit more rehearsal time, but the results can be so much more interesting and vibrant, I well, think. Well, I've just heard you doing one mother and a cellarando in a piece with no one actually sort of giving it. It just sort of happened. I mean, presumably, I hope it's rehearsed, but I mean, <laughs> everything is possible. Everything is possible. <laughs> The, the, the programme Inspiring Bach is not about inspiring as an adjective Bach, it's about the music that inspired Bach. Uh, and the composers you've got, Pachelbel? Yeah, Pachelbel, Sebastian Knupfer, uh, Johann Christoph Bach, uh, and uh, anybody else we're missing? Buxtehude, of course, Buxtehude. Mm. And yeah. such textures, such variety, I mean, uh, basses and trumpets and then uh, sopranos and violins, just mixes that you don't normally hear. Yes, I think at this point, point in history there's still so much up for grabs the composers can be so inventive and they're enabled to be so because instrumental virtuosity is is really taking off um, and trumpet players particularly again coming <laughs> back to personal experience are, are starting to not just be military um, so, uh, you know um, eff effectively fanfare or signal um, players and they're developing these skills to play in the high register where on the natural trumpet you have so many more notes available to you not just sort of fanfare notes with big gaps between them and and um and so you you open up this whole world of virtuosity that the composers well, yes I want that you know <laughs> let's put that into the music and uh, yeah it's it's fantastic to play was a stunning concert. The mental virtuosity of all involved without a conductor to steer was, was really impressive, an unthinkable concept for so many musicians to have pulled off a few years back. Though credit to violin one Kinga Uisassi, who through her clear bow work gave them something like the bridesmaid to hang on to. And so finished week one of Star Music and this episode of Call Chihuahua. Don't worry, Eamon will be back for the next one. After every concert this weekend, the audience came out amazed at the sheer commitment of the performers. City Music, Fieri Consort, Dancer Steve Player and Mary Collins, the Ramo Project Swingles, uh, Marion Concert and Spiritato. Has the lack of live music over the pandemic energised performers to give even more? I'd never noticed that performers were holding back previously, but there was something in the air this weekend. Perhaps it was the buzz of the 16th anniversary. I don't think so. I think it's just the sheer relief of being able to share music between performer and audience again in a building away from traffic and the stresses and strains of everyday life. Purcell had it right. Music for a while shall all your cares beguile.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.